Welcome, everybody, to the October episode of The S Word, a podcast about suicide prevention. My name is Sarah Kolbeck. I'm an assistant professor of psychiatry and behavioral medicine at the Medical College of Wisconsin, and I direct our division of suicide research and healing. And I'm back with my buddy, Andrew. Hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. <laughs> I love that. Uh, hi, everyone. I'm uh, Andrew Schramm. I'm a clinical psychologist and an assistant professor in the Division of Trauma and Acute Care Surgery in the Department of Surgery at the Medical College of Wisconsin. So thank you for uh, listening. Yeah, thanks for tuning in today. We're really excited for this episode, which is featuring um, author Charlotte Maya talking about her new book, Sushi Tuesdays, a memoir of love, loss, and family resilience. Before we get started with our conversation today with Charlotte, um, I just want to remind our listeners that we'll be talking about topics related to suicide today. Um, and so if that feels like a tender subject for you, as you're listening, feel free to hit pause and come back later. We will be here when you are ready to listen. And after you've wrapped up listening to today's episode, please remember to take some time to do something nice for yourself. I also want to remind our listeners that there are resources available if you are ever concerned about yourself or a loved one. We have the National Suicide and Crisis Lifeline, which is available by calling or texting 988. Um, I have just learned that there is also Spanish-speaking services available on 988, which is really exciting. It's great. Yeah, yeah. And also, if you are a veteran, you can press 1 when dialing 988 and be connected with someone that can help you specifically. Um, and I've heard that um, they are working on developing 988 resources in other languages as well, which is great. So this is an expanding resource nationally. You can also reach the crisis text line. Again, that's available 24-7. You can text the word TALK to 741-741, and a crisis um, counselor will text you back and be able to help you. You don't have to be in crisis to use any of these resources if you just need somebody to chat with and talk to about whatever you're going through, those are great places to start. So encourage you to use those. Yeah, go for it. Now that 988 is a thing and has text capability, right? Mm -hmm. Is the 741741, is that different from texting 988? It is. They're two different things. Yeah. So the 741741 is only texting. It always has only been texting. It's a different, um, a different, group of folks that are responding to the calls. Um, okay. 988 is, I know here in Wisconsin, um, 988 is administered through Family Services out of Brown County. And so that is a, a local service, um, unless they're um, at capacity and then that gets kicked to the national service. But yeah, they are actually different and you can text both of them if you'd like to, um, to get help. So yeah, some good resources out there for sure. So as I mentioned, our guest for today is Charlotte Maya. Charlotte is an author. Um, as I mentioned, the book Sushi Tuesdays, which I have here right next to me on my desk, it's called Sushi Tuesdays, a memoir of love, loss, and family resilience. And we're so excited to talk to you today, Charlotte. Thanks so much for being here. Yeah, Thank welcome. you so much for inviting me. Thank you. It's, a, it's my honor to be here with you today. That's great. So I just wanted to kind of learn a little bit more about you, Charlotte. So you um, are somebody that I was introduced to through somebody here at the Medical College of Wisconsin who saw your book, 
um, and was aware of this podcast and the work that we do and thought maybe Charlotte would be a good podcast guest. So I reached out to you, kind of cold called you, um, cold emailed you and um, invited (laughs) you to just have a conversation and talk about you and your, your background and your story. So you are a law survivor and you wrote the book, um, Sushi Tuesdays, um, after this loss. And I guess the first question I want to ask you is what inspired you to write a book about your experience? I feel like suicide is a story that was demanding to be told. It's the 10th leading cause of death in this country, as you guys know, and, We don't like to talk about it, but talking about it is what makes a difference. And Mm -hmm. I felt like this was a story that just wouldn't let me go. When the police came to my house to let me know that my husband, Sam, had died by suicide, um, they told me, we will tell the children who were six and eight at the time, we will tell the children that their father died, but you have to tell them how. And we recommend that you tell them the truth because you do not want them to find out from somebody else. And on a day when nothing made sense, that advice, that invitation to be totally transparent actually made sense to me. Mm -hmm. And that level of transparency has really sort of guided my journey forward. And I was terrified that I would be ostracized because of how my husband had died. But what I actually found was the opposite. What I found was community. And the more I just was just very honest and transparent about what this journey looked like, it was so confusing. I had no idea that Sam was struggling so much. Uh, He wasn't diagnosed or medicated and Mm -hmm. um, wasn't seeing a therapist. So I was so shocked and confused and angry and grief stricken. I had just so many feelings that um, I couldn't help but sort of spill out. And I was surprised at how many people wanted to have this conversation and how difficult it is to have the conversation until you get started. And then like we just... I don't know anybody whose life hasn't been impacted by suicide. And we can have these conversations in ways that are honest and hopeful and healing. And so as I continued on my journey, people kept saying, you have to write the book, you have to write the book, you have to write the book. And eventually I did. Took me 10 years. Oh, wow. Wow. Well, I'm so glad you wrote it. It's at the top of my list of of, uh, books that I want to read, Charlotte. I'm curious, kind of zooming out a bit, can you tell us uh, to the degree degree you're comfortable, like tell us a little bit about your yourself and like your family, like what is the context of this laws? Yeah, well, uh, before Sam's death, I would have said that we were a pretty unremarkable family of four. We, Sam and I had been married for 15 years. We'd been together for 17 years. Our kids were six and eight, and um, we met in law school. Neither one of us was practicing anymore. I, I, this is not the advocacy work I ever envisioned doing, mm. and so that has sort of been one of those curveballs that life throws. And obviously, now I'm really passionate about suicide awareness and prevention, and also um, a word I learned from you, Sarah, postvention. Um, yeah, because we 
we may not solve all the suicides, but we can do a lot better than we're doing now. And we might not be able to solve everything, but we can certainly solve the isolation. There's just so much shame and stigma surrounding suicide. So much I didn't know. And I feel like people, all of us, if we all, not just clinicians, not just healthcare providers, if we all develop a certain level of fluency in suicide, we will save lives because our family members, our friends, we are the first line of defense for each other. It was, for example, really helpful for me to understand that asking somebody if they are considering suicide, if they are having thoughts of hurting themselves, doesn't plant that idea mm-hmm. in their head. It's such helpful, practical information to have, to know that you can ask those questions. And instead of that being a risk to somebody, which is, I think, what people are afraid of, you're actually demonstrating that you're a safe person to have that conversation with. Mm-hmm. So I, I realize I kind of veered off from the question that you asked. Yeah, it's okay. Um, because I've, I, I, didn't, I didn't know anything about suicide. I never would have expected Sam. This is one of those refrains I guess you hear about people. Oh, I wouldn't have expected fill in the blank. Whoever seemed to have a beautiful life, seemed to have a um, healthy marriage or partnership or relationship with kids. And so I think it's important for us to understand that suicide is a disease that could impact any one of us. And so I was before Sam died, it never occurred to me that he might be suffering so much that he would consider ending his own life. It never entered my mind. There were things I could see in retrospect that now I understand Mm -hmm. were signs of suicidal ideation. And that's the kind of fluency I think, I mean, we know about nutrition. We understand a lot of the signs for um, cardiac health and diabetes and we didn't used to say the c word cancer and and now we have research dollars and we're making so much progress and i feel like the s word is getting there but not Mm -hmm. there yet and so i think i just really wanted to be part of that um advocacy work part of that healing work and and to honor sam because i think the one of the risks of shame and stigma is that it reduces our loved one to those last moments of their life. And that's not true. And it's not fair. Yeah. Mm. I'd love to hear more about that. Um, but Sarah, I know you have a question that's burning inside you. <laughs> I can see no, it. It's okay. No. Um, so you had mentioned, you know, this is not the advocacy work that you ever wanted to be doing. Um, and you mentioned the community that you have found. The lost survivors that I talked to, I know several lost survivors closely in my life. And in some cases, you know, I, I've heard them say things like, I wish I hadn't ever met these friends. I wish I didn't ever have to do this work, but they're doing the work and they're finding meaning and um, connection through that community. And I think Charlotte, you and I talked about Kevin's song. Was that part of the conversation that we had? So we had Mm -hmm. Gail or so on a few episodes ago, talking about the work of Kevin's song. And um, it just amazes me how supportive and connected the community of lost survivors is. And so I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about 
some of what you found in that community and how that has helped you sort of um, not necessarily make meaning of the loss, but maybe has helped you navigate that loss. I think it's so important to know we're not alone. Mm -hmm. And even though every loss is individual, every grief is individual, my loss is different than my children's loss. Mm -hmm. And their loss is different from each other because we have those unique relationships. But there's something about being in community that just makes such a difference. Yeah. I've just met some beautiful, brokenhearted people. I think there's also something about when you suffer a loss like this, it, you become pretty clear on what's important to you. And there's not mm -hmm. a lot of time for garbage and just things get real, really quickly. Yeah. And not in like a heavy doom and gloom sort of way, just in a really honest human to human sort of way. I guess that's what I'm trying to get to that. It, it really touches our humanity. We joke mm -hmm. in our, our house that, you know, we don't keep the skeletons in the closets. We put them out on the piano and on the walls and in the hallway mm -hmm. because they are how we got here. Cause grief doesn't end thing I often say love remembers but love does remember and so we continue to say Sam's name and um I um spoiler alert I did meet somebody special and fall in love yep. again and um yes. my <laughs> now husband had also been widowed his wife had uh colon cancer at 41 mm -hmm. and he also had two kids so um you know, Sam and Debbie, we, we talk about them. They're very alive and well in our family conversations. They are how we got here. Yeah. 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 I appreciate that perspective for sure. Um, and just, I think one of the things that struck me as I was reading is how um, honest, and you mentioned, you know, the how transparent you wanted to be in the book. And that was one thing that I noticed right away is how honest your writing was and how, you know, kind of vulnerable you were willing to be. And I wonder if, you know, it's, it sounds like the folks that were rallying around you wanted you to sort of tell your story and talk about what happened. And I wonder if that support kind of helped you in that willingness to be transparent and share. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, authenticity comes to mind. Yeah. In addition to vulnerability. Yeah, I think there's so many of these suicide losses in particular that have been tucked away in photo albums and at the back of the closet and in the family history. Mm -hmm. It's it's incredible and awful to me at the same time how many people have held these suicide losses for so long by themselves. Mm -hmm. And it is heartening to me when we find each other and can share our stories together. I hope that one of the things that Sushi Tuesdays does is it invites other people to share their suicide stories because it's too important not to share. Yeah. Yeah. Can I ask you, so I, I know the answer to this, but if you could explain to the listeners how you came up with the title Sushi Tuesdays and where that came from, because when I first looked at it, I was like, huh, that's interesting. And so yeah. I'm really curious if you could tell us the story behind that. 
Yes, definitely. Very early on in my process, I, um, I had a favorite yoga class on Tuesday mornings and my therapist had a recurring slot open up on Tuesdays. So Tuesdays very quickly became my day just for me. I went to yoga. I went to therapy. I didn't go to coffee. I didn't make appointments with, as I say, MDs or JDs or BFDs. That was just my <laughs> day for me and my yeah, healing. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I called it my Charlotte Shabbat because it was, yeah. it was really a sacred day. Did I need to um, crawl back into bed and cry? Cause that's real. I would do that. Did I want to go for a walk? Um, sometimes I'd take myself out to sushi party of one, the kids were six and eight, so they didn't care about sushi, but, um, what did I need for my own healing? Because as a single parent, I knew I had to take care of myself in order to take care of my kids. And about a year and a half after Sam died, I was speaking at a children's grief conference. I, I was exhibit A basically. And um. there's a chaplain in the presentation with me. And afterwards she said, Charlotte, when you write your book, I loved how like presumptive she was. Charlotte, when you write your book, you should call it Sushi Tuesdays. And so I had this title in my mind, Sushi Tuesdays, and exactly as it is on the book, Sushi and Tuesdays underneath. And as I was getting closer to writing, I I started um, I started a blog because writing a book seemed too sort of overwhelming. Mm. Yeah. And um, so I started a blog and in URL form, Sushi Tuesdays, there's one of what we call Uncle Jose's colorful words right in the middle of the Sushi Tuesdays. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's the message. Yes. I don't okay. know if we're allowed to say that out loud on your podcast. Yeah, yeah. I think so. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. You can edit it out later if you have to, but there's yeah. in the middle of Sushi Tuesdays. Um, and I would have edited it out if I had seen it in advance, but I actually once once I realized it was there and it was already yeah. published, I thought it was poetic because mm -hmm. Sushi Tuesdays was about dealing with the mess in the middle because grief is hard and loud and messy and painful. And so I I kept it. So Sushi Tuesdays was really about my day for my own healing, but also about really dealing with the messy reality of what it looks like to live a grief and what it is to parent during grief and what it is for young children to try to navigate this impossible loss. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I really love what that symbolizes. And again, it's such a catchy it's such a catchy, like different title. It makes you, it like draws you in. It makes you want to understand what's happening. And so you don't even have to like sushi. It's okay. <laughs> I, 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 I don't like sushi, but I do like sushi Tuesdays. <laughs> <laughs> so that's perfect. Charlotte, you mentioned like the grief process being different for, for kids. And I'm curious just to hear about like what, what that looked like for your kids and maybe like in particular, were there aspects of their grieving process that felt counterintuitive to you or different from yours? Yeah. Yeah. Um, we broke a lot of things and um, very quickly as a mother, I would go through my little checklist about, okay, can it be replaced? Does it matter? Um, is he hurting himself or his brother? And um, one of the things we did was say Uncle Jose's 
colorful words out loud because sometimes we need little words for big feelings. And I said, you know, you can use those words at home for big feelings. That is totally fine with me. Um, I told my kids what the F word was, what it meant, but that I couldn't save them from the principal if they used it at school. So (laughs) use it at home. Encouraging that expression though, or that expression of emotion. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Being able to, um, to hold that. And so for example, my, somebody very well intended, but wholly misguided told my eight-year-old, you are the man of the house. Oh, yes. Yeah. You know, it doesn't come out with kids. It doesn't come out as, oh, hey, mom, somebody told me I'm the man of the house. So, um, Mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't come out that way. It came out at bedtime, usually. Um, Mommy, what's a mortgage? Mm -hmm. How do you pay the electric bill? And all of a sudden, I um, you know, I put the book down and I said, well, what are you thinking about? Mm-hmm. And that's when it comes out. Mm-hmm. Mr. What's it said that I'm the man of the house now. It's yeah. my job to take care of you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Said, sweetheart, you're not the man of the house. You're the eight-year-old of the house. And your job is playdates and third grade and baseball. And, you know, brush your teeth. Like, yeah. this, is, this is what the eight-year-old is supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, that stuck though. And I think it's not uncommon for the firstborn child, whether it's a boy or a girl to feel a lot of pressure to take care of the surviving parent, whether the surviving parent is a mother or a father. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is not an uncommon thing from what I learned for the, um, for the firstborn child to carry that is really heavy for an eight-year-old to carry being you know the man of the house like what does that even mean so that's that was something for example that that we navigated and not just once right we would have this conversation multiple times um the eight-year-old said something along the lines of i need you to get married again mom because i need a stepdad because i'm too little to be the man of the house Mm -hmm. And um, at the time, it was like, for me, I didn't really realize I was single, even though being widowed is by definition being single. I didn't, I was still wearing my wedding ring. I didn't think of myself as, it didn't really occur to me that I would, I had been loved well, and I had been married happily. It was too short. Yeah. I was grateful, but it, and, but I felt like I, I had been loved and and I knew that Sam loved me, even though I also felt abandoned and angry and all of those yeah. things. But um mm-hmm. so the the older son says, I need you to get married again. Meanwhile, the younger one says, Mommy, <clears throat> if you get married again, I'm going to kill that guy, and then I'm going to kill his ghost, and then I'm going to kill his ghost's ghost because nobody will ever be as good as daddy. so there's sort of that truism that if you have more than one child they will have at least that many opinions and so navigating both of those ideas and sometimes you know the thoughts just they come from I don't know where but I remember holding them and saying you know I don't know what's going to happen but I do know this there's a daddy shaped space in your heart that will be there forever Nobody else is going to take over that spot because nobody else fits. That is daddy's spot. And daddy will always be in your heart. But the thing about love Mm -hmm. is that it grows. And if somebody special does come into our life, 
your heart will grow and there will be a new space for him. It doesn't take over the daddy space. It's its yeah. own thing. And we ultimately did live our way into that truism, but I could never have imagined it really at the time. I was just trying to figure out how to help both kids hear what they needed to hear, right? That they are safe, that they are loved, that I can take care of them. Naturally, when I did meet Tim, my now husband, they flip-flopped in their opinions yeah. about what I should do. By then, Danny said, mom, I don't think you should get married. I liked him. He's a nice guy and everything, but um, I don't really think we need to go there. I don't want to change rooms or houses or anything. And, um, mm. and I, I remember asking Danny, so what did, you know, right after daddy died, um, you wanted me to get married again. I wonder what has changed for you. Yeah. And Danny said, um, mommy, I didn't know you could take care of us. And now I know um, you can. Uh, so the, just the, a lot of growth. Um, fluidity is part of what I hear. Totally. And as you know, children revisit grief at each developmental stage. So the six-year-old thought daddy walked on water. That 16-year-old was very angry. Mm -hmm. because now he's taller than his father was. He He's starting to develop a sense of what it means to be a man, what it means to live up to your commitments. <laughs> and so he had a, so the 16-year-old then has to re-grieve. What does that mean? And it's never going to end, right? When mm -hmm. when they become 41 and they're as old as their father was, they're going to think about this again. Mm -hmm. When they're 42 and they're older than their father ever got to be, it comes up again. When they look into the eyes of their own six or eight-year-olds, I think they're going to understand suicide as a disease in a way they've never understood before. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. I keep thinking about how fortunate your kids are to have you as their mama. I really feel, I really am like, I really am feeling that. And I wanted to vocalize that because it just seems like you were just so wonderfully supportive and understanding and knew to take care of yourself. And it just, um, yeah, I, I just wanted to say that because that's what I've been thinking about for the last few minutes. And um, yeah, I just, I, yeah, that really strikes me. And I want to ask, so you mentioned with your eight-year-old that the comment about, you know, you're the man of the house now, as somebody that has experienced a suicide loss, what are some things that you found that people said to you or did for you both, you know, kind of immediately after Sam passed and then, you know, in the time, um, in the year since, what have been some of the helpful things that people have done where you've really felt cared for and supported? Yeah, I um, I had a lot of support. I was very, very lucky to be in a, a relatively small community and I had graduated from high school here. And so I just, I knew a lot of people. And so I was incredibly well supported. Um, I actually, before I go there, I, I feel like I should say, the kids still, I'm sure that there are things they think that I did wrong. And I just want to put that mm -hmm. out there because yeah. there's no way to be a perfect mm -hmm. parent. I did the oh, best no. I could with what I had. And, yeah. and the, one of the hardest things about this journey is sort of handing the kids the reins to their own healing journey at mm -hmm. some point, because they have to, I did the best I could to support them on their way. And then yeah. they are on their own journeys. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but in addition to casseroles and grocery shopping and yeah. walking the dog and all those kinds of things, I had a friend who was, she was a really good seamstress and mm-hmm. one of the kids had shredded a favorite blanket in a fit of grief. And she um, sewed that back together with a new backing. It's not the same, but there's, there's something beautiful about having that repaired blanket another friend who was gifted with sewing machines took some of sam's shirts and made Mm. teddy bears out of them which was absolutely darling one of so i had so many people that kind of came out of the woodwork to help me that in the book i i called them the janes and so the the janes are sort of this greek chorus of people who showed up in different ways and one of everybody's favorite janes is who i called engineer jane and she came to me one day and she said charlotte i can't cook and i have no social skills but i have noticed that you are late to school every day uh-huh and she said i'm wondering if you if it would if it would help you if my two kids and i walked to school with you and your two kids. And uh-huh. so she showed up on my doorstep every day at 7:45 with her two kids in tow and she'd knock on the door and the kids were as soon as they heard engineer Jane knocking at the door, socks, shoes, homework, lunches, go go go. Um and I didn't need 12 engineers on my doorstep. I just needed one. And so I was really humbled by how many different ways people can show up. And so I feel like everyone has their own sort of quality of light. And you might not even realize that it's a gift. If you're a book lover, for example, picks maybe pick a book out that you think somebody might like or a soundtrack, put together a Spotify playlist. I mean, there's just, it can be simple. It doesn't have to be expensive or time consuming, but there are all kinds of ways you can show up for people, because I really do think that we each have our own quality of light that we shine in each other's lives. And and when you have had a significant loss, you need all the light you can get from whoever you can get it from. Mm-hmm. And so what I often say to people who have suffered a loss is if someone says, can I help you? Just say yes. Yeah. Let them figure out how. Just say yes. I need the help. So whether it's walking you to school or putting together the meal train or mending clothes or whatever it is, um, whatever your gift is, we need it. Yeah. I love that phrase quality of light. I've never heard that before. Um, yeah. And I think that's such a cool way of talking about, you know, somebody's like talents or their gifts that they have to give to other people. Um, it's such a cool, (laughs) such a cool phrase. And, you know, something I hear from loss survivors is folks not really knowing how to deal with their loss and not wanting to say the wrong thing. And as a result of that, sometimes pulling back in a way that is not helpful, but it sounds like you were were really supported in in a lot of really beautiful ways. I I mean, sometimes people say things too, that's really not helpful. Um, There's no, I wish there was like one right thing to say. There's Mm -hmm. not. And personally, I would rather, I preferred it if somebody showed up and attempted to say something, even if it was glitchy and maybe rubbed me the wrong way, but they're trying, that was better for me than somebody who didn't want to risk saying the wrong thing and pulled back. That felt harder. Mm Yeah. Yeah. So just reach out is, it sounds like the message is just, you know, give it a shot. If you, even if you don't know exactly the perfect words or exactly the perfect thing, it's helpful to know that 
you're being thought of and, and cared for in that way. Or sometimes just show up and don't say anything. Yeah. Mm. Just show yeah. up. And then like my friend who engineered Jane, who, who noticed that we were late to school. When you show up, maybe, maybe you notice mm-hmm. what the, the, the dog hasn't been walked in days or something. You yeah. notice something. I had a friend who I remember telling her that every time I walked into my closet, I would see Sam's clothes and I just fell apart and I'd like time would pass and I would just be weeping in the closet and then I would forget kind of where I was. And she came over one afternoon with another friend and she said, okay, I'm not going to get rid of anything. But she took all of Sam's clothes. She organized it, labeled it, put it all in boxes in the garage and said, it'll all be there when you're ready for it. And then she organized all of my clothes. So there wasn't some big gaping hole in the closet where Mm -hmm. Sam's stuff used to be. I mean, it was like walking into a magazine closet. It didn't stay that way, of course, but Mm -hmm. like, like this, she, that was her gift. That's, that was something she was really good at. And um, you know, again, I didn't need 10 people in my closet, but one was amazing. Mm-hmm. I love that. Charlotte, you had mentioned that you saw a therapist mm-hmm. and this question feels a little bit selfish in the sense that I, I would just love to get your perspective on what was helpful, what wasn't helpful in that work. Um, that myself as a therapist and someone that trains, you know, future psychologists and future therapists, I'm always um, just really eager to hear any aspects of that experience that that you'd like to share. Well, I I am a big fan of therapy. Because I think it really makes a difference in the healing journey. And there was a time when we had, you know, his, his, hers, ours, and ours therapists. And then when Tim and I got engaged, we added a few more his and another ours. Um, there's something really sacred about being heard, about being able to say whatever. It was important to me that the the children feel that they had a truly safe space so i never even asked their therapist how to go what's going on what should i do um it's hard as a parent i mean i believe me i wanted to know what they were talking about what they were worried about what was going on for them how i could support them but it it and if I was worried about something, I might send an email to the, the kids therapist and say, this is what something I'm worried about. And they just go, okay. And I like, it's just into this black hole. Putting that um, out there. Yeah, totally. It's uh, parenting is um, not for the faint of heart, but for me being, just being seen, being held in that space it's it's profoundly human to be in that space being listened to i mean it really is if if you hadn't if i hadn't been well i i feel like i've been in therapy for so long now but um on and off but there's just something really elemental about being able to share your heart with another human what you're really afraid of 
and say the thing you're afraid to say mm-hmm. and and let it sort of echo around the room and and often that's where it loses its power is when it's in the room mm-hmm. I don't know if that answers your question it does and so having space really to connect on a almost a a, a human existential level um and space to share these thoughts and in, in, in a way that feels safe um, mm-hmm. that maybe there's not space for in other relationships I think that's one of the values of just having that 988 number like just just the fact that it's there even if you're not calling it knowing that it's there that 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 is a need that is met for people I think is I just think it's so powerful because we're not meant to do this alone. Mm-hmm. Life is a team sport. We 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 need each other. Mm-hmm. And I think it just being that vulnerable is sometimes counterintuitive, I think, in our particularly maybe in our culture. And maybe yeah. especially there's a gendered component to that vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Um but it just I don't know. I just think it it helps us find what's most important. Yeah. Yeah. Therapy is so powerful. It can be so powerful. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, you know, for the reasons that you, and I, I loved how you said when you say something and it kind of hangs in the room, it loses a little bit of its power. And I personally, my own mental health journey have found that, that when I'm able to just say the thing, or the things that are bugging me and just get it out there, how much better I feel after and how I feel like it doesn't have power anymore. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it has less power. <laughs> maybe, yeah, exactly. Maybe less power. Yeah. Um, but it's, it can be such a powerful experience. Yeah. So we're coming to almost the top of the hour, which is wild to me because I've really enjoyed this conversation and this flowing, um, yeah. Yeah. And I've been wanting to talk to you um, about the book and about your experience for such a long time. Um, But I want to finish off, if it's okay, on a question that we ask all of our guests, regardless of what walk of life they are from or their background. And that is, what is one thing that you wish or want people to know about suicide? I think I really want people to know that there's hope that it is an illness, but um, there is hope and not to stay alone in this space. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's a great message. And I think a really great way to wrap up today's episode on that, on that note of hope. And I also want to make sure that folks that are interested know where to find your book, Sushi Tuesdays. Uh, Where can they find that? They can find it in wherever books are sold um it, you know i i often recommend that people buy from their local independent bookstore and so uh-huh. you know they may have to special order it if they don't already carry it but you can also order it online all the major venues and i actually recently recorded the audio version of sushi tuesdays which was a very fun project uh-huh. i think there's something particular about memoir that is um that lends itself to being narrated by the mm. author. There's some incredible narrators out there, professional narrators, but I think for memoir, there's something special about hearing, um, hearing the story in the author's own voice. So that's also 
available for download on Audible. Yeah. Well, I'm going to listen to it now, too. Yeah, me too. Yeah. It's really cool. I, yeah. I do a lot of driving and I love to listen to memoirs when I drive. It's like my favorite genre because oh. I get really engrossed and then I'm like not worried about like veering off the road or falling asleep. So I'm going to have to download uh, as soon as I get my credit next week. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, it's almost the first of the month. So maybe soon. Yes. One of my friends yes. who was listening to it after after he finished listening to the book, he said, oh, my gosh, I felt like you were on my um, commute with me every day. And now you're not there anymore. I mean, it was just oh. so. Um, yeah. So I hope you enjoy it. Wonderful. Yeah. So folks look for Sushi Tuesdays wherever you Get, buy your books or wherever you download your books um that is amazing so um yeah definitely i'm so yeah. glad we connected thank you so much dr sarah and dr andrew of course really grateful for the work that you do in the yeah. world thank you charlotte yeah I, I feel the same way toward you um as as we wrap up i just want to kind of check in is is there anything we haven't talked about that kind of is on your heart or or that you had in mind today and like I said if if not that's totally okay just to me in these conversations it feels good to have a second to kind of take inventory and see like do I feel like I've shared or expressed like what I've wanted to so I like just to make space for that thank you for asking I I feel like I'm the kind of person who's going to think exactly of what I should have said right after we hit the red totally. button. <laughs> yeah, I get, that. I get that. Um well I'm not thinking of anything, but if I do I'll email it to you and you can add it to the show notes. Yeah, That's please awesome. do. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, Charlotte. Um I'm so glad we connected and really appreciate your time today with us. Yeah, thank you both. Story. Yeah. Thank you. And for our listeners, just a reminder to take care of yourself as you are going about your day today. Um, do something nice for yourself. Again, those resources are available. Call or text 988. You can also text the crisis line at 741-741. Text the word talk. I say that so much that I lost my cadence there for a second. Text the word talk to 741-741. And we hope you join us for our next episode. Andrew, I was thinking about this. We yeah. have never had an episode where you and I have talked about our work. And so wow. I was thinking for a future episode, maybe we could interview each other about what we do because oh. we actually do some pretty cool research too. Yeah. So, yeah. Charlotte's maybe. giving us the thumbs up. So I feel like I like that's that idea. Okay, cool. So <laughs> I can't I wait to hear it. Yeah, tune in for our next episode, which will probably be Andrew and me talking about our work. So oh, I like so that much. idea. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So thanks so much, everyone. Take care, and we will connect next time. Thanks so much. Take care. Bye.